I'm just going to record and I'll see where I'll start clipping. Okay. This okay. is maybe, this is perhaps Job and Luke discuss theology. Could number be, yes. one of 200. Oh, yes. <laughs> a, a beautiful series full of potential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Job accidentally mentions five different heresies. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. So the best. I'm working uh, with my pastor and I, uh, I've suggested we try an out of court ministry where we're going to have a podcast. And uh, so kind of like this, I just yeah. go sit down with somebody from the congregation and we say, Hey, I asked them, Hey, what brings you to the church? Like I yeah. tell people on discord, what brings you to discord? So sometimes we come together and we discuss that. And I noticed that that very quickly turned into not discussing the podcast, but discussing what job thinks about religion nowadays. <laughs> mm. So yeah, basically what I brought up with him was I don't have so much a problem with the resurrection anymore. That seems to have happened. At least something has happened. <laughs> it seems obvious. Yeah. Okay. okay. I don't really have an issue with God anymore. I mean, that just kind of, that buck stops at consciousness anyway. And beyond that point, I can't do much with it anymore. There seems sure. to be, there seems to be something going on. So, okay. Seems there's a God. Seems there was a resurrection. Um, I, I I don't consider myself a believer. In, I don't seem to be able to. My pastor said, "Just be patient. You're you're trying too hard." <laughs> but okay, fine. What I have what I kind of have, have a problem with is the the way that Jesus had to die. Mm. So I would I ask myself, why 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 the crucifixion? Like, could it have been anything else? Would it, would it have worked if it had not been a crucifixion? Would it have worked if it had been decapitation? And I'm not saying that to be flippant. No, I know, yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm a, hmm, where to dip in? I don't, um, I'm not, I don't really think of myself as, <clears throat> A determinist and I'm not sure um, there's a philosopher I believe he's a German philosopher I'm not sure when but I think his name is Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz mm -hmm. I think who's tapping in here who's that Jeff uh, oh that's maybe just Jeff listening it's, he's just, it's just me I'm, I'm not really here ignore me <laughs> okay you're just an olive cube rectangle it's the spirit of Jeff <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyhow, Leibniz said something like, um, I believe, maybe I'm misremembering, but I believe he's the one who's, um, who's most, or he's, he's known for the, the idea of the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> um, Job, it's a Job sandwich, Jeff sandwich with Job in the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Luke, we're talking very... <laughs> Uh, so, right, back to the crucifixion with, uh, yeah. But, so he, 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 he said the best of all possible worlds. And so people, because a lot of times people will come up with the idea of, you know, this world seems um, 
broken or like if I were God, I could create a better world. Or there's a lot of brokenness here or this doesn't work. So I can imagine that this would be better or this would be that or this. And, and his basic idea was um, <clears throat> God is perfect and everything he does is perfect. And so the fact that this world is the world that exists, this is the best of all possible worlds. It's essentially, it's essentially to me, it's essentially the idea of, um, so a book that I really love that I was mentioning on the discord this morning is this book notes from the tilt a whirl. And my favorite quote from it that I bring back all the time is probabilities are the prophets of a mechanical God. Mm. And what, what I take that to be is that a lot of times, this is what I would just say broadly, is like the what if question. And this is just honest. This is just for me. I'm not promoting anything like as an absolute thing. But whenever I hear what if questions, I'm just like, they don't even make sense to me. Because what is is what is. And so, like, even your question of how Jesus died and the crucifixion and the cross and the brutality of it and could have it been done this way, my short answer to that would be no, because it didn't. Um, but, but it's not as if – it's almost as if asking that question is coming from – it's coming from a – and I'm not saying this to you, but to me, it seems like it's coming from an overly analytical, formulaic, systematic, mechanical framework. And that's just not the way that I think reality is. You know, like, could have it, ha could have it happened this way? The question doesn't even make sense to me. No. Well, I wonder if Jesus knew. Because, I mean, he never alludes to the idea that he will get nailed to a cross. He will talk in metaphor, saying they will destroy this temple, and in three days it will, I will rise it up. But, right. like, I, I mean, I think Paul got decapitated. So did John sure. the Baptist. Yeah. It's, um... Like, I, I mean, I can't um, imagine people hanging like little axes around their neck. That would just be kind of weird, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I mean, and, and people, I could hear, there's other voices in my head that say people could respond that like the, the prophetic, um, all the prophecies pertaining to the Messiah and to Jesus and the suffering Sanger and suffering Savior and things that come out in the New Testament that like, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree and and people would allude back to the kind of the the images of Moses wandering in the desert and the snakes come and bite everyone and so he makes the staff with a snake on it that if it, if anyone raises up their eyes and looks looks to the to the staff or the cross with a snake on it you know then then they'll be healed essentially you know that story from uh, from the Exodus. And, um, so there's all of these, there's all of these biblical allegories and symbols and things that are connected to, to a tree. And I, and I think like in a very Jonathan Peugeot way, he would talk about, um, I think all these things are symbolically connected, like tree in the garden and death 
and and cross tree and cursed is he that is hung on a tree and and the son of man will be lifted up like all of that stuff is symbolically connected um and, but those are all those are still within the whole framework of analyzing it to say like could it have been otherwise i just think um even though i do i would affirm all that symbolism um i just think it was necessary in the sense that like that's what happened <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know what you think about that or if that answers your question at all. Well, it's, it's the first time I, I hear that approach of the don't try to analyze it because that's what happened. It's not that there's anything wrong with analyzing it. It's just that this is kind of, this gets into my whole, my whole critique of of uh, the spirit of I can't even remember what it is, but like the spirit of geometry, yeah, versus the spirit of finesse and the mm -hmm. and the analytical mind and um, and the mind that's kind of always that's always trying to figure out to have dominion. I mean, you can come at that from two different spirits. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not accusing you of, of trying to figure it out to have dominion, but it's almost like the analytical mind is, I don't know, is, is innately wired to, to fit everything into a structure and a system rather than seeing uh, somewhat an inarticulable, in an ineffable harmony, you know? This is why I like the orthodox tradition of like the apophatic stuff more so than like more didactic Western analytical approaches, you know? Uh, okay, I think this hooks into something else. Um, okay. So Luke, let's say you wake up tomorrow and everything's just the way it is. You just wake up like you, saying let's hope oh okay uh let's say you do hypothetically what's existence to i, I can't formulate this easier what is your frame for existence um damn it how do i phrase this without it sounding too vague okay so uh, let me try to connect it to what I'm trying to get at. Story time. I go to the butcher, and as usual, I've been thinking about religion because I can't help myself. And I'm just ordering my usual things, and there's the, the butcher behind the counter, and, and I'm kind of just waiting for him to wrap my stuff up, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if this is all true, then this guy behind the counter is a child of God, just like I would be a child of God. And, you know, he looks at me, he hands me the stuff, and I like, I can almost see it. Because, and the closest I can describe it is a purposeful creation of everything. Um, that's a very strange mm -hmm. idea, uh, an idea I can only like, 
uh, hold on to for a couple of seconds before I have to let it go because it is too large. I that sounds the it. same to me as the best of all possible worlds, a purposeful creation. What is, is. I'm trying to find a way to contain that without, without having to let it go after a couple of seconds. Um, Yeah, so I think to... I think that's a beautiful. I think that is a beautiful. Um, the what you're trying to do, I think, is fantastic. I think more people ought to be doing that. But what I would, so this gets into, I think that you will be able. I think you will be able to to um, to stay in that space more through practices of meditation and silence and contemplation versus active thought. But how, okay, so what I'm, what, the reason I started with asking you, like, okay. let's say you wake up in the morning, is that your worldview? Right? Is that how you wake living up? Living in the place where you, living in the place where you are, maybe not consciously, but like actively, aware of infinite purpose would you Actively i mean could you say it that way oh see the the problem with an that intent was... and beauty and harmony so like i don't i wouldn't say that i live there all the time but this is where i think i struggle sometimes relating to people who are more naturally dualistic and compartmentalizing in their brain. I just, I don't really live in that space. So even when people say, and this isn't to, I think I can grow in certain areas with that, but like when people talk about prayer or like praying all the time, I do think that I am more naturally inclined to just live in that place all the time. I mean, I, I feel like I am communing with, and not always, but like my natural to answer your question, when I wake up, it feels relatively natural to me to, to feel like you're communing with God all the time. And there's, a, and there's a spectrum that's where you're seeing purpose and beauty and intent and wonder and awe. And um, you're, it's, it's like you're for lack of a better term, it's like you're seeing the panorama of everything. It's kind of like what a lot of the beautiful poet, and I don't know who, I've heard a lot, a lot of people have said something like this, and I can't remember specifically the person who said this or the exact quote that's coming into my mind, but like a lot of, a lot of great thinkers and mystics have said things like the whole universe is contained in like the, the, the petal of a flower. You're snoring of a sleeping cat. That's what What's I was that? told. I don't know. I was told that, that one? the entirety of creation unfolds in the snoring of a sleeping cat. Sure. Yeah, that's the same thing. It, it's like seeing it's seeing the universal in the particular. And and essentially, what I would call that is an that's those are iconic eyes. That's seeing everything is iconic. Because you're seeing the thing, but you're also seeing the thing that transcends the thing. And it's all, 
it's the universal in the particular. And so that's the, that's, and that's essentially having God oriented vision. It's seeing God everywhere. The, and the so to risk. answer your question, huh? Go ahead. So I was just going to say like, I wouldn't, I'm not, I don't live there all the time because I think to live there all the time is to um, approach sainthood. This is what I would tell you is I think someone who lives there, I think biblical examples of people who, who essentially did that. And this is kind of the orthodox idea of theosis. I think purifying your vision to such a degree that you see that everything is God, that you see God in everything um, I would say biblical example would be like Enoch or Elijah, the kinds of, the kinds of people who didn't even taste death because they didn't have to, <laughs> they like, they, uh, I, I don't know that I fully worked out my thinking as to like, to be able to break it apart again, analytically who, what happened with Enoch and Elijah, like Enoch walked with God and he was no more for God took him. Like, what does that mean? I don't know fully, but I think what, I, what I, my intuition says is the kind of awareness and presence that sees the universal in the particular is, is synonymous with walking with God. And I think when you would, if you were capable of living that way, you would, you would transcend missing the mark because you would merge with God. Basically, you keep, I, yeah, it's, it's about that frame that Paul talks about because it's, it's when you look at somebody, you don't put a frame around them, but you, you work from your larger frame. The, the, the risk that this has is that it turns into some sort of new agey pantheism thing. Well, this is what I always tell Paul, and he's never commented on him, but every time he brings up pantheism, I quote in the comments, panentheism. I knew you were going to um, bring that up as a retort. <laughs> so, like, because I think, because this is, the, this is the whole rub between spirit and matter and duality and, and this whole tension that you have, at some place you have to resolve it all in oneness. And, and ultimately, that's Trinitarian. It, at some point, you have to get the universal and the particular in harmony. You have to. If, there is, in the end, the kind of faux dualisms that we like to talk about all the time will be shown to be the same thing as time. They're not real. Hmm. Maybe this is the same thing that Peterson talks about where he says you can try to be in line with that which you could be for maybe a second and maybe then for five seconds. And we don't know what the limit to that is. Right. But no, the, I think the, that's exactly right. This is with, walking on water to me to bring <laughs> up our point from the last thing. I'm serious. Like when Peter walked on water, what Pete, so this is how I, so that whole story, right? Jesus, <clears throat> they're out on the sea they're scared, the big storms, all of a sudden they see someone walking on water, they think it's a ghost, they realize it's Jesus, Jesus is like, Peter, come out and walk, you know, come to me. When Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on the water, he has, he has merged, 
he is merging. He's fully, he's, he's done that divine dance thing. He's, he's lost himself in a flow state, fully absorbed in Jesus. And he's living, he's fully living in faith in the kind of thing you're describing where he's seeing the universal in the particular and it's in the face of Jesus Christ, to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians. He's beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's seeing Jesus for what he is as the exact icon of God the Father. And when he's doing that, he's walking on water. And then he sees the storm and the waves, and, and, and he defaults back to the spirit of geometry, and he gets scared, and he starts analyzing and sees the storm, and he starts sinking. That's what, that's what theosis is to me. That, that, is a, that is like a snapshot glimmer into, into final participation, for lack of a better term, into, into the, a glimpse of, of the, of the telos of what man is meant to be. I love that story. Wow, yeah. But it's hard to live there all the time. And this is why I think it particularly, so maybe I could bring it up this way negatively. This is why I've been obsessed with the Joker recently, the movie, absolutely obsessed. And I think it's because the Joker is, and I couldn't agree more with Burn Powers video. It's a warning for our time. And it's a, it's a, how do I bring this in? It's like a, um, it's a negative example of, of, of the potential opposite of what I'm describing with Peter walking on water, which is a loss of connection, extreme isolation, God leaving you to yourself. Um, God, what is that quote? Like hell is essentially, um, man, there's a really good, good quote about that. that has been thrown around the discord recently. I can't remember what it is though. Um, and so like the Joker to me is, is the opposite of that. It's a lack of connection. It's a lack of union. It's seeing purpose nowhere. That's what nihilism is. And this is what I think the whole, why I love the Joker so much is I see it as a symbolic representation of the very thing, the whole Jordan Peterson, Paul Vanderclay phenomenon is, is working to be a, a remedy or an anecdote too, antidote too. Um, but it's just the other side of the coin. I, 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 have, I haven't followed anything around that movie. So yeah, it's a, it's good. I mean, like, I don't know if you get it. I don't, don't watch the burn pot. If you do watch it and I don't know how interesting it's dark. It's very dark. Um, like there's nothing happy about it. Um, but, but, but it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a long time. I can't, like, I have to go all the way back to tree of life to find another movie that I think is as good a quality of art as that movie. Um, but it's, but it's, uh, but it's a warning. I mean, it's bad art. Like there's nothing happy about it. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, maybe that doesn't relate to what you were saying. Maybe not, but I, I should probably go see it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I just, 
I liked what you said about the, the, the walking on water and that, man, I'm such a, I'm such a materialist. This stuff is so hard to come to terms with. Uh, what I need to, what I, what I want to be sure of that as I explore all this stuff is even if I met, let's say I meditate on it or a journal on it or whatever works. It, it, it must be something that I must not tell myself in order to, uh, uh, it mustn't be a lie I tell myself. Like, yeah. oh, I, because then it's just another act as if the world is mm -hmm. purposeful. What I'd like to is to hold the view that the world is purposeful because as I said in my conversation with Rob Thornstar recently, I've come to realize that I'd rather live in a world where the resurrection happened than in a world where it didn't. Yeah. Which is, which is new to me, but okay. Clearly I had a change of mind in that regard. Not that I ever really felt that I, I didn't want to, but well, I guess I did. It's, mm. It is kind of interesting because I used to be really concerned about the whole idea of living in, in, a, in a potentially purposeful world because it's the whole existential part of all, then everything matters. Like mm -hmm. everything, every little thing absolutely matters to the... You have that same fearful sobriety that Jordan Peterson has. I think it's just me having listened to Jordan Peterson and agreeing with him. <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah, sure. I don't. I don't think they're my own ideas, but like that—that's the whole Kierkegaardian Witcher knows full-on existence, because that's the only proper way to be once you realize what existence entails, in all its yeah. terror and all its glory. Right. And you'd almost kind of want to try and go back to your nihilistic atheism, because well, I can kind of just <laughs> free wheel and die, and. That doesn't seem enough anymore once you've kind of seen this side. Like if you're but existing, I think you might as well exist, really exist. Yeah, for sure. But I think to maybe um, balance out those fears is, um, is maybe the, the hope or the belief that um, <clears throat> God is also better than you can imagine. And so even though there is all that degree of seriousness and, and responsibility and that everything matters, that isn't, that, that isn't necessarily a scary thing. I think when you, when you think of it this way, when you think that God is a God of abundance versus a God of uh, lack you know, he's, he's not, he's not the kind of God. I mean, Jesus said this himself. He's not the kind of God who, if his son is hungry, gives him a rock. And so if, if you, if you knock, if you search, you will find, and, and really the only thing to be lost and even the fear of that, that weight of glory and that weight of responsibility, that's just the residual dead wood feeling fearing its own destruction <laughs> you know so i think i think within christianity and within hope and union with christ there is such a thing that's i mean it, it's the recovery of a 
childlike wonder and hope and trust. Little kids, like I think about this a lot. So I would contrast it with just, it's not a child, childishness, it's a childlikeness. So it's not like you're naive. And this is where I love one of my favorite biblical phrases is wise as serpent, but innocent as a dove. That's the harmony of like, that's almost like, you could almost take that phrase in a very Jungian way. That's a like slaying the dragon and making it your bitch for lack of a better term. Um, and, and so you're wise as a serpent. You've, you've, you've integrated your shadow, but you're using that now as a lackey for your, for your recovered childhood innocence and on wonder. Cause I think about that all the time, like really little kids, like when my kids were really little kids, and little kids go to the park and they see some other kid because we live in Minneapolis. Minneapolis has like a, you know, I grew up in a really rural place um, away from any sort of diversity. But now we live in Minneapolis has this huge Somali and Ethiopian population stuff. So we have, there's a lot of um, Muslim people around and like my kids when they're really little or when they see like, they'll go up to some other little girl with like a, who's wearing like a hijab or something. And they're just within like two minutes, they're holding hands and playing at the park. Adults don't do that. You know, <laughs> cause we're, cause we're, um, we're hardened and jaded and calloused and fear has taken over. So we have this, we're living in, in our analytical mind and our dualisms. And so like that love has been suppressed, but I think somehow within Christianity, there's a way to be, there's a there's a way to hold that weight of glory and that tension of that responsibility that everything matters. The the I feel like there's some phrase that I'm just missing that's on the tip of my tongue, like this incredible holiness, kind of like the the Isaiah image of holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory and touching his tongue with the hot coal. Like it's it's intense. But yet it's intense in a way that is it's intense in the way and it's beautiful in the way that's like a four-year-old kid holding hands with the other at the park. And that maybe seems like, it maybe seems like those are opposite things or different things, but I don't think they are. No, but that's, that's, <clears throat> I don't think, I think that's exactly right because the kid ha acts out of the love first. Like, <clears throat> Just, just a kind of a love for the world and truth. And truth is, I want to play. That kid wants to play. Let's go just play together. There's nothing yeah. else there. Yeah, there's, there now, is, it, and that's why love is at the top of the Christian hierarchy. Now, yeah. when one kid pushes the other kid off the swing set, the, it's not like well, they're not aware they're, that these things exist, but they no. won't use them as a shield. Right. And then they, and they get, and it's amazing how fast a child, a small child often will just forgive, move past it. They have grace, they're best friends again within a matter of seconds because <clears throat> they have just that built in robustness that somehow just over time, you know, the devil, the world and the self, just the ego, you know, mm. just bash you down so you lose that kind of youthful innocence a lot of a lot of how i see my own faith is is an attempt to recover 
you know, the, that inner child that we're repressing all the time with our defense mechanisms and our walls and our fears and our insecurities. And well, that's also a part of that self because the self develops pretty, pretty late. Yeah. So, so those, those who, <laughs> if you lose your, yourself, you will regain it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the Jesus, the, the Rene Girard and trampling down death by death and overcoming violence and enemy love and all of that stuff. That's where the childlike oneness and holding hands at the park becomes. That's the adult version of, of childlikeness. That's the innocent as serpent, but wise as doves or wise as serpents, innocent as doves. That's the, that's the conscious knowing potent. It's not this youthful naive, Mm. uh, naivete. It's a, it's a, it's an aware, it's a, cause like even now I I just remember this, like my kids, my oldest son is like on the verge of, and I don't know, he, he's just, he's, he still has this very like beautiful, youthful puppiness to him like he hasn't become like kind of a jaded teenager he's 12 and he's just and I love it I'm and I'm somewhat I don't I'm not I'm not prone to anxiety so I'm not consciously all fearful of him losing it but I really don't want him to and the reason he pops into my head is is I'm trying to illustrate this kind of youthful naivete of versus like an adult submission to what enemy love looks at like you know it's not just like holding hands with some other kid who hasn't done anything to you it's someone who's pushed you off the swing repeatedly and then murdered your family you know um but so so they they know i've been obsessed with this joker movie they're familiar with batman and the whole batman series and stuff and so they get so interested, they just want to know everything you know and so i just start explaining a little bit of the story to them which is pretty dark and I'm doing it, you know, somewhat selectively, you know, I'm not just like re- recounting the whole thing, but just like as they are hearing stories about how this character, Arthur Fleck, who becomes the Joker, has just been abused and maligned and had no one love him and friends and betrayed all these different things, because I really see that story as kind of like, it's amazing to me that he didn't crack well before he did. Um and as I'm just outlining this stuff, I'm just thinking I'm getting lost in the story and I'm just telling him stuff. And all of a sudden, like my son, Malachi, who still has this just like innocence and softness in him, he just like starts weeping because he's so sad for like just how this, this man's story, wow. you know, just through this story. And, um, and that's kind of like, that's what I still love in my son. I mean, he's just, you know, he's an emotional feeler, which is great. But then he's like, there's a, there's a way that with, as a youth and as a child, you can be quickly forgiving like that because, because you've never really tasted real pain, real trauma, real brokenness, you know? And I think like me just talking about the Joker a little bit was just giving a glimmer of that. But like, that's where, 
that's kind of like that transcendent presence that I'm talking about with like Enoch or Elijah or walking on water is like, that's the, that's the mature version. That's what Jesus did is like, when you, when you're betrayed by everyone, when everyone leaves you, when you're fighting the powers and the principalities and the systems and you're, and it's Christ versus the crowd and you still love and father forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, that's, that's the grown up version of childlikeness. Like that's the, that's why he's the archetype. That's why he's the savior. And, and, um, and that, and so that's my belief. When you, when you, oh, yeah. when you merge with that, you walk on water and you move mountains. Literally. I, th- I you just brought up a thing. I, I haven't, I didn't, this has been ages ago. Like this must've been like what, 15 years ago, at least we were at a family gathering and my, my aunt, uh, had, uh, had become a, a mother. And she had her like, like infant, like can't be more than what, couple months old at that time with her. And you know, I don't know all that was. I, so I don't tend to get emotional. I just don't, but she shows me this baby. And I just start to cry. Just, I couldn't even talk because it was simply the, the absolute fragility of, of that life that now had to exist in this mm. world. And mm. I don't think I, I understood it at that level back then. But thinking about, like, what would I have done to to protect that child, which wasn't mm. my own, to protect it from harm? Yeah. And that feeling was so strong. I'd never experienced something like that. So this, so what I want to bring up, though, and this gets to, like, what Jeff and I and you were talking about, like, and, and you as an icon, when you saw that child and you were weeping, this is, this is why I want to, this is why I would like to push you beyond mere propositional knowing. Cause you say you want to be conscious of this stuff in your belief, but the same Job that now can articulate maybe what you were seeing in that child, you knew it then, which is why you were crying. You just couldn't articulate it. Mm, I, no, I didn't understand it. I remember that. You didn't, you didn't understand it in an articulatable way. Right. But you did understand it because you, you acted as if. You saw it and you wept. Hmm. And this is, and this is I, I don't know. I feel like that's really, that's an illustration. And I think it's really important that that's a piece that people miss is that we just, feelings and intuitions and when they are, when they are true, when they're aligned with the truth and the right and the good, they're, they're true. You know, like there's nothing wrong with articulating this stuff. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why yeah, I love but, little children to your point. Yeah. Like, like you you're know? talking about your son and he just starts to weep because of the tragedy. That. That's what I'm afraid of in him is I'm afraid and I maybe that's maybe where I don't have faith and where I start to fall into my own analytical mind that I'm afraid that his exposure to tragedy will, will, will break his childlikeness. 
uniqueness mm. and I see it in him. And it's, it's one of my favorite things about having children is they're not jaded and broken by the world. <laughs> like so many adults are, you know? Um, and I'm constantly trying to live in that place as an adult. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. God have mercy. Yeah. Mercy indeed. But even like, let's say they don't become jaded. No, it's probably nothing. I'm just wondering how that would influence them acting in, in, in the same world. Because you can become very jaded about the world and still feeling like you should act, especially because you're jaded. Yeah, it's probably not going anywhere. Well, I mean, in my, my, you know, my kids, for example, are always in that tension. Like when they have, so like their greatest potential to be jaded or probably in like our interfamilial uh, bitterness and difficulties that we have all the time, you know, like in their bickering between each other, like, mm. you know, sister number one does this all the time and she's doing this all the time. And I mean, and I see that, like, this is why I do believe like these things are all, these are, and this is how I speak to my kids. Like these are all cosmic battles of infinite importance all the time. Like in this moment of disagreement with your sister, who's doing this, because I see them doing that all the time. They're and it's no different than an adult. It's just a really stripped down, uh, honest, bare representation of what adults overcomplicate is like, they did this and it's not fair. And I mean, it's fighting for your own, every, all of those interactions are, are an opportunity to exercise grace and mercy mm. and forgiveness and truth and to act like Christ. And, and we never want to, I mean, we just always want to excuse ourselves. Um, yeah, it's because hard. that's where it's infinitely hard. Well, we want to be God because we want the world to be a certain way, but we refuse to be Christ in order to become it. Well said. Yeah, we want to be, and, and even in that way that you establish it, it's like we want to be God, but we want to be God in the image of our God where, where all the injustices that we don't like, the injustices against us are corrected, but not the injustices that, that we're throwing out. <laughs> yes, and this yes, is like yes. When, this is like when Paul talked about the other day, if we had a, if we had a, you know, some, in some big brother future state of surveillance, like your smartphone that just records every judgment that you utter against someone else. And if there was just a tabulation of those, and then at the final judgment, if the only measure you were judged was your own judgments against other people, who would stand? And this is the very thing that Jesus said, like, be careful you who judge for in your judgments, you condemn yourself. And by the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Mm. I mean, Jesus said that very same thing. And that's, and that's where we have to, I think, 
that reality, I think, can help us to live outside of our own hypocrisy and actually forgive is because, and that's why I tell my kids too all the time, they'll be like, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, but they only ever, they only ever want to conjure the principality of fair when it benefits them. <laughs> you know, when it's unfair to their advantage, they're not saying it's not fair. Mm. They never bring it up. They're just like, oh, that's great. <laughs> you know? And that's how um, we all are. Christianity is such a, such a crazy story to live in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Just, just, uh, yeah, I, I got nothing else, man. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, we probably did, I don't know, we probably did a substantial enough time if we're going to mm. actually post it. Well, I'll stop recording for now. We're at about 55 minutes. Cool. Thanks for your time, Luke. Much enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, for sure. Ditto.